the one. When you put down the good things you ought to have done, and leave out the bad ones you did do, well, that's memoirs. Will Rogers. In general, memoirs really suck. This is all. This is because they're badly written, which they often are. But because they are meals in bows, it's an eye that every aging honey in I'm home product returning soldiers post World WW two now thinks the world is desperate to hear about how life was really. No one gives a crap. One of the things that always moves me in look back works is how in addition to a good golden to a golden glow of what never really was, many authors try to portray life's events as quasi planned, rather orderly progression of mo- moments which taught life lessons. In reality, life is a delightful shit storm of random events, most of which are stumbled into make little sense and teach life lessons in the same way one learns about getting hit with a board. Yeah, this is indeed, is a memoir of sorts, is shark fishing, is one's underwear, roping a bear, getting drunk with your grandfather, or losing ten grand at a Hollywood sign, is a memoir, the day Johnny Cash hit on my wife, is on a roaster as well, for the only name drop in, the, in all the stories. It's also a thing about getting shot in uh, uh, a has a road trip with a monkey. I could not deny these were life-shaping events, but the truth be told, they all happened under the heading of oops. Life lessons, well, okay, they're buckle, then buckle up. Here's a few for you. The first of all, I've driven home during a summer's squat in the Idaho woods, 40 miles from anywhere. That's how you deal with the loss, assuming you li- live in the woods by a river. A day we roped a bear. We didn't. We if we hadn't been so bored, I swear to you, we would not have roped the bear. Of nineteen and grass green, after shangling a buddy, I had a team hitched a couple of thousand miles to a narrow summer job with the Forest Service for reasons I cannot remember and cannot now comprehend. As a college kid, fighting forest fires in Idaho seemed like a damn fine idea. I was amply rewarded for my folly of being hired and banished to a lion camp near the and what camp far and away in the Clearwater National Park Forest in northern Idaho, where mostly we cut brush, poison tree crankers, and spent occasional butt-pluckering days fighting lightning strike fires. In those days, anyway, summer forest service grunts slept in bunk houses and ate at communal mess, military style. My bunk mates were a eclectic bunch, coal miner from Virginia, escaping a shotgun winning, among others, a nice peace, peace kid who swore he was related to Chief Joseph. Whether well, he did or not, he had a, both a lazy green and a cousin scarred with hairline to chin, who swaggered in one night, produced a rifle and announced he was going to get us all. Filling out my roommate roaster was a grizzled old guy with ropey muscles who never talked except to mutter college shitheads and sprinkling other college kids along with a few in intolerant hobos. Just out of jail types who never seemed to stick more 
in a week or two. The first person I met in my summer bunkhouse home was E.V. A college shitty guy, a knuckled dwarf of an old mountain man, or he seemed to be then. I stuck out my head. He stuck up his face. Listen, you college fuck. Keep the hell away from me. The second person on the team was a great rangy kid lad from Oklahoma. His claim to fame was he could play guitar, a little sing, a little sing like Caruso, and was screwing every woman within 50 miles of our camp. Oh, on hearing this, I auctioned. This true name was really the Golden Grub, which, over his ongoing pissed-off objections, struck to him like glue, therefore. The Golden the Grub, therefore, became my bare rope partner. Nobody gave much of a damn what anybody did except when it comes to actual work. Camp rules were that no one went out by themselves on a project. Getting hurt alone back in the bushes would, could get you killed, so every job had at least two people on it. While Ranger Bob, who led our motley cramp, had no sense of humour at all. Worse yet, he knew damn well how much work should be done in a day. Whether or not, it, whether it was two men or ten, the form was pretty simple. If Ranger Bob decided someone was screwing off, the errant members of the particular crew were immediately assigned every crappy job which came down the pike. There were a hell of a lot of those. Some involved actual crap. So you, there you have it. Mostly hard physical labour, field work days, filled by empty hours in the evening and long weekends. That should, that could do, what could could you do Friday night, Saturday and Sunday in the woods, in a forest lying clamp full of guys after all. Occasionally we could go to the booming metropolis of Olofrodo, Ohio. After I was given a couple of bank accounts lessons in how to shoot craps and lose all my money, plus future paycheck, that was not really not in a, an option. A grub and inveterate gambler didn't had not fared much better. So mostly on evenings and weekends, it was the two of us sitting around wishing we we even had better sense or better luck. I swear to you, the grub started the whole thing. So he says to me one day, on a scale one to ten, how bored are you? We knew the bears hang out at the garbage pit for black bears. There are only two bear trails leading in and out of the dump. So we figured setting up an ambush would be no-brainer. The government maintained he had done all the initial re- intel required by watching these bears on many boring evenings and chucking dirt clots and then to make sure they, that the bears would run away from from, from, rather than with mayhem on their minds towards humans. Vastly reassured, I swore, some, I stole some thick rope from the hot shot helicopter kit and grub procured from God knows where a robot railway tie. One evening, weekend, one early weekend evening, we tied one on the end of the rope around the railway road tie and looped the other end tied in a lasso over what was determined was a bear exit trail with a dump later the aftermath the grub i agreed they really should have waited till the weekend to conduct the great bear rope
Hiding in the bushes, we were gratified to see all four bears arrive in a dump right on schedule for their wake evening snack. A crowd gave the signal, a piercing, wallowing whistle, alerting the bears, Ranger Bob and all bunkmates that something was amiss. This is definitely a tactical error in our war plan. We leaped up, shouting and hurling dirt clods, both not hurt the bears, as we later maintained, but in truth, honestly, not to piss them off by throwing rocks. The bears thundered down the exit path and right through our lasso. One, two, three, gone. Number four, we kneeled. A rope caught him around his head and his front leg for a perfect catch. We now had to successfully execute our plan. We had roped a bear. Now, what the hell were we going to do with it? Obligedly solved the problem for us. Squatting on the top of its squalling at the top of its lungs, it climbed right straight up a huge tall tree, lifting that heavy, tar-laden railway tie an easy five feet off the ground, and that tie was really, really heavy. Towards, looking towards our bunk house, we could see our bunkmates spilling out like gophers from a hole and heading in our direction, closely followed by Ranger Bob, carrying a gun and a very grim expression. So, being 19 years old, well, okay, the grub was 20. The only hope of salvation we could think of was to pull the squealing bear out of the tree. Yes, we we panicked, I suppose. But then, if you had never heard a bear yelling in distress, you could simply cannot imagine a decibel level or horrifying chalkboard sound. So I hoped, hopped up and grabbed the railway tie while the grub seized the rope. Both of us heavily mightily downwards at the same time. The result was similar to pulling the chain, the old-fashioned overhead toilet, a bear filling in a pool, the rope immediately pissed all over us. A copious bear bucket of warm pee was immediately followed by a huge load of eucacine crap, all which, heartily assisted by gravity, unerringly found us. We stood at the base of a tree looking up. Ranger Bob and our laughing and our laughing to tears bunkmates arrived just in time find us soaking wet from, from the bear's shadow, shower and reeking of scat, gloomily staring at a tree with a bear still howling, and now moved to the very top, dangling the rope in the branch after branch, a cool range of up fingering his rifle, a puny little thing, two to two calibre. How was that going to kill a bear with that? How are you going to kill a bear with that? I thought remember thinking. Well, slowly looking up at the bear, and then got back to us. Finally, after a long, drawn-out silence, he spoke. I was just trying to decide who to shoot. He finally had to cut the tree down. The bear rode it all the way to the ground, emitted a cartoon-like, yeah, sound. It bounced once, then hit the ground, hit of obviously soft earth, throwing off the rope and ran after its companions, who by now were long gone. We, of course, never lived it down. Though the, the, the story told in righteous detail by a bunkmate was always good for a few beer, free beers for us. So I suppose the episode had its merits. Ranger Bob made good on his reputation by assigning us every rotten job that had to be performed by the balance of the summer. We did them cheerfully, while counting ourselves lucky, which undoubtedly we were. The sun set on a faithful day, walking back on the to the bunkhouse, I saw Ranger Bob sitting on the great bank of the Snake River, which ran furiously along the edge of our camp. His rifle laid alongside him. 
being too inexperienced to leave well enough alone, I walked up to him and asked if he might, but I asked him just a question. He didn't look up, just kept staring at the river. Go ahead, isn't that rifle two two two? I asked, can you really stop a bear with that thing? It's kind of small, isn't it? A pause. I fired a lot of guns. I had a lot of guns a year ago, responded almost as if I wasn't there. Some of them were big enough to stop an elephant. I threw all those guns in the river. We're running out of light. I ran out of the gas, so... Showing more brains than I had all day, I didn't say anything. I just sat down on the riverbank. Besides, I had no idea at all how to respond. Throw all these guns in the river? She was a lot younger than me, and people said it would never last. But I did... But I did love her so. One day I caught over a guy, a younger guy. I knew him. I loved I to know him. By the time I got my gun out of the case, I loaded. They were both gone. I never saw neither one of them again. I never wanted to do anything more than, in my life than kill them both. So I threw all my guns in the river. After a while, I didn't want to kill them any more. By now, darkness has descended. And the total inky blackness that only night in the deep forest can produce. We both got up and went our separate ways. He to the ranger's cabin and I to the bunkhouse. Ranger Bob and I saw each other every day thereafter during the course of the summer. We never spoke of that day or that evening ever. Chapter 2 Drunk people suck when they're not me. All for a gnome. At the time I worked on a fire crew in Idaho Forest, it was a man only deal. Men only deal. Women obviously did not and do not have physical stamina to engage in heavy exercise. Just look at the women world champion US US women's soccer team or the women's Olympic downhill skiing team, for example. Back then, the resulting no women allowed gravel piles of men crews led to a lot of public gas passing and a quasi social rule that acceptable venting was beating a snot out of someone or worse. Dealing with the loss of throwing a few thousand dollars worth of guns in a river was one person. There was another. Stick together in times of trouble and stay the hell away from a mean drunk the day Kenny's cousin tried to get us all. Along with our teammates Kenny and I Fought forest fires in Cleve Water Natural Forest in Northern Idaho, Idaho. Midsummer, after a big fire, Kenny told me his real name was Little Bear and gave me an Indian name, which he pronounced Makukuki. I later found out it meant Dirty Shorts. Kenny swore he was the great grandson of the famous Miss Peace Chief. Leader Chief Joseph. Chief Joseph was a war leader, a laptop war leader, whose tactics were studied in war colleges. When the US government decided to steal the name peace lands, too, he consoled peace. But war came anyway. In 1877, outnumbered 10 to 1, he led a ban on men, women, and children 1,700 miles. It was a multi month desperate run to freedom in Canada. But 64 miles from safety fell to him at the Montana Bear Pole Mountains to surrender his people. That day he said, my heart is sick and sad. And when the snow now stands, I fight no more forever. He died in Exo in 1904, a reservation far from home. He was 64 years old. 
the doctor said he died of broken heart. His real name was Hin Makutukukakulukukakit. Him Ma Tu Ya La Kitit. Can you tell me one day, shortly after we were met? He was named Chief Joseph by white pieces of shit. Like you, he added. He and I were mates of sorts. You know, five men opened Bankhouse Bay. Initially, only two of these other bank beds on our five bank bunk floor were occupied. One was filled with an elder ox-like guy, Evie here, who collected big tree bells in order to hand carve canes. He fiercely hated all college kids. The other bed was occupied by the run Virginia, Virginia <coughs> coal miner, Victor. One chaser, he said, was his pregnant girlfriend. The other he maintained was the sheriff, but he steadily refused to explain why law would have an interest in his whereabouts. As it turned out, Kenny had a cousin, a cousin who needed a job, and he explained to the ranger in charge of our ragtag crew who better to take the extra bed than our floor. I don't remember his cousin's name, but I do remember the long scar running from his hairline to his chin. Except for the cut, can he explain that his cousin was unhurt after he rocketed through a windscreen? Being completely drunk had supposedly erased his cousin's memory. Whole event. Kenny's cousin was a hard worker and quite affordable, affordable, affable. So he got on well with everyone, but his accent had put him off having a few or many. We went out of the bushes a long way away, a long way away from the civilization, which is an Ophodo, a tough little Idaho logging town. No one had a car, so had it, it was hard to go anywhere. But one Friday, Kenny's cousin somehow made it to town. When he came back that that night, he was dead drunk and a head full, a head full of mean. He had a gun. He was muttering as he swaggered in the bunkhouse. I couldn't make out exactly what he said, but kill all those fuckers came through pretty clearly. He had a lever action rifle and pocket full of bullets, many of which scattered over the floor as he flopped onto his bunk. He apparently had a little lot of bullets though. We never we could all hear the occasional rounds snickling home in the rifle side loader, as still dropping bullets he cursed in frustration. While all this is going on, I saw Evie here. Uh, Select the work in a progress cane with a huge burl in the end. In the middle of the bay was a big, old-fashioned, wood-burning stove. Victor Minovic crept over and seized the handle one of the stove's covers. Damn thing must have weighed ten pounds. Even Kenny shaped, snaked out a knife from somewhere, cousin or no cousin. From my heart, I leapt from my bed in my underwear. Looking back, I leapt from my bed in my underwear. Looking back, I must have been planning to brain the guy with an apple from the label my fruit of the looms. Other than that, I had nothing. I did have a nod from Avery. However, if as I joined the fray, from him about to commence, the sound of a lever action as round was chambered and ready to fire was really loud. At that moment, Kenny's cousin dropped the rifle. He picked, leaned over to pick it up, and over and over, over and over until he'd picked it up, and over and over until he did a flash part. 
The next sound to be heard was the snoring Kenny's cousin, a passed out cold, laying on top of his loaded gun. None of us touched him. Kenny was up early the next morning to speak with the ranger. Short time later, a forest service truck pulled up. Cousin was given his gun, his bullets, which I thought was pretty stupid. He was then escorted to the truck and delivered somewhere. Evie walked up to me. Here. He'd been handling me. He said, handling me a piece of metal. I turned over it over in my hand. What's this? A firing pin, he responded, shaking his head at my stupidity. A rifle had been rendered into a club by the simple removal of the firing pin. I still have it somewhere. <laughs>